Today, it's time to expand our ideas on worship. Uh, and, and what I want to make the argument for today is that the best worship, the most real worship is the worship you do every day in your own home. Okay? Uh, how many of you have ever heard the phrase personal devotions? Raise your hand. Personal devotions. Uh, how many of you, you think you know what I mean by that phrase? When I say it, you're like, oh, yeah, I, I know what that is. Yeah. Uh, how many of you have, like, a, you're like, uh, you have a rough idea, but you're not 100% sure what's supposed to be included and what's not. How many of you, I have no idea what, that's the first time I heard that word, Pastor Phil, I have no idea what that means at all. Uh, I always find it helpful uh, to define our terms and get on the same page. And in my research, I came across an article uh, on Christianity.com's website written back in March of 2020 by a woman named Christ, uh, Christy Walker. And I thought her definition of personal devotions really summed up clearly what we're trying to talk about when we talk about doing your personal devotion. She said this, when Christians refer to do their, doing their daily devotions or, quote, devos uh, <laughs> or quiet time, they're referencing their daily time allotted for reading the Bible and praying. So simply put, devotions are daily intentional time with God. They're a time you've chosen to set aside with God for the purpose of building your relationship with him. Uh, and while Walker mentions you know, things like prayer and scripture reading as part of that time, she goes on to include other ways of focusing on God, such as journaling, uh, spiritual meditation, uh, Christian meditation, and, and listening to worship music. And we'll talk more about that later in the sermon, but first, in her article, Walker asks an interesting question. And the question is this, does the Bible command us to do daily devotions? So many pastors will encourage their congregations to set aside time each day for daily devotions, and I'm basically gonna do that very thing today so that you know where we're going in this sermon. And so it might surprise you that the answer is actually no. The Bible does not tell us to have a de daily devotional time. You won't find any scripture verses using the words personal devotions. If you Google those words, you'll find a lot of resources, but what you won't find is a quote from the Old Testament or the New Testament, or from Jesus himself. So why in the world do, are we doing an entire sermon on a to this topic? And, and why are we trying to make an argument for doing personal devotions? And I'll tell you why. Because of what the Bible does say we should do and where we should place our focus and how personal devotions will help us get there. And so all through scripture, you see the same picture over and over. There is power in being connected to God. There is power in a relationship with God. From the Psalms of the Old Testament to the Gospels of the New Testament, you see the same picture. When we connect ourselves to God, life gets better. Not necessarily easier, but better. Let me give you a few scriptural examples. Psalm 119, verse 9 through 11. How can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. I've tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Matthew 11, 28 to 30, Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Or, or maybe one of my favorites, John 15, verse 5, Jesus says, yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. 
So there's this constant cry through the pages of Scripture from God's heart breaking at Adam and Eve's sin that ultimately caused a separation between him and us all the way to Jesus dying on the cross to bridge that gap that sin created. There's this constant picture of God seeking after humanity. And there's this constant invitation to draw near to him and to remain in him. And personal devotions are one of the greatest ways we know to help us answer that calling in our lives. Devotions are an effort to do what we see God calling us to do in Scripture and to respond to what he's calling us to. So does the Bible command us to do daily devotions? No, but what it does do is invite us into and call us toward pursuit of a loving relationship with God, which really is a call to develop yourself at a soul level. And while I know that sounds kind of super intense, it's actually not. And I want to illustrate what that might look like in your life. And to do so, I want to look at an interaction in Scripture between the Apostle Paul and one of his students, a guy named Timothy. So we're going to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. If you're using one of our Bibles, we'll be on page 720. And as always, the ushers are coming around. If you want to follow along, you can raise your hand. If you don't own a Bible, keep it. It's our gift to you. Uh, Let me give you a little background as you're turning to 1 Timothy 4. Paul has recently gotten out of prison for sharing the faith and doing what he does. He's traveling again. He's preaching the gospel. He's planting new churches and revisiting cities where he's already planted churches. And one of those churches is a church in the city of Ephesus. They get there and the city is being misled by outside sources and they're a complete mess even believing some heresies. And Paul has to continue on his journey. He has places he's got to be. He's got churches he's got to plant. So he leaves Timothy in control to kind of clean up the mess in the Ephesian church. And later he writes a letter to Timothy to encourage him in his ministry. If you were to read Ephesians, what you find is chapter one is about rejecting false doctrine. Chapter two is about correct behavior in the church. Chapter three is about what qualifies you to be a leader in the church But when we get to chapter four, Paul puts the focus on Timothy and like a doctor dishing out a prescription in verses six to 16, Paul lays out a plan for how Timothy should start to uh, cultivate personal spiritual health in a way that will allow him to lead the local church well as a pastor. And I know what you're thinking, but Pastor Phil, I'm not a minister. What does it have to do with me? But the truth is every one of us is a minister. Every one of us is called into this world and all of us are meant to be pastors even if it's not the job we're paid for. And we all have the responsibility for the health of our souls because of what God is calling us to. So we pick it up, 1 Timothy chapter four, starting with verse six. Paul writes this, if you explain these things to the brothers and sisters, Timothy, you'll be a worthy servant of Christ Jesus, one who is nourished by the message of faith and the good teaching you followed. Do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Now, I want to key in on two phrases here from Paul. Uh, He's about to introduce a metaphor that I'm just going to tell you right now you're not going to like very much, okay? Uh, But he sets us up for those metaphors with some key language here. Phrase one is this phrase, nourished by the message of faith. So Paul uses uh, a present participle, which just means it's a continual process that there, we need to be continually nourished in the faith. And there's no greater nourishment for our souls than a continual exposure to God and to his word. If any of us are going to be effective in sharing the gospel, it has to come from a soul that's nourished by God's word. Phrase number two I want you to notice is train yourself to be godly. 
That phrase occurs eight times in 1 Timothy. Paul is stressing that godliness, true godliness of lifestyle, requires self-discipline, okay? Now, these two phrases set us up for the metaphor that you're not gonna like. There are these two pictures in this passage of the value and the habit of what we call personal spiritual devotions and of taking personal responsibility for our spiritual health. So let me show you what I mean by, by continuing to read. Verse eight, Paul says this, physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. And so Paul introduces this metaphor of physical fitness. Now to say our nation is caught in a fitness craze would be an understatement, but I want you to notice I didn't say a health craze. See, for most of us, it's not about health. We just wanna look a certain way on the outside regardless of whether we're making healthy choices to get that way. And most of us are obsessed with finding that quick fix, that shortcut, which is why so many ridiculous health products and fitness products exist. Uh, Anybody remember the thigh master? That was a thing, right? Or how about a little more, right? The abdominizer, we did the abdominizer for a while. You do that, that's gonna be all you need. And then there was the most ridiculous one, the shake weight. Does anybody remember the shake weight? You just hold this thing and shake and you're just gonna be so fit. Or how about the workout videos? If you're old enough, you remember Richard Simmons and sweating to the oldies. Uh, man, that was living life right there. Uh, if you're a little more recent, you know P90X is kind of the thing. How to bring it. You're gonna learn how in these videos. All of these are promising the same thing. Better results with less work, right? A quick fix. And how many of you would confess you had or have one or more of these things in your life? You know, I do, right? I got some Richard Simmons, I'm pretty sure somewhere. All of these products are again, promising the same thing. Use our product, follow this easy steps. You'll be physically fit much quicker. It's gonna be easy. And all of these products are in our closets, or our garages, because we all discovered that annoying, inevitable truth. There are no shortcuts. There's only one system that ever works. This is it, this is the whole thing. I'm gonna tell you the secret right now. Here it is. Number one, adjust your eating habits. Number two, exercise regularly. Number three, do that consistently over time. I wish there was another way. There is not. And the worst part is number three. Consistently, over time. Everyone has started to work out. Everyone has started to eat right, but consistency over time is hard. It takes discipline, the D word, right? Paul uses this metaphor because it's the perfect one as spiritual health is found the exact same way. I love how J.B. Phillips puts it in his translation. He said, take time and trouble to keep yourself spiritually fit. So Paul says, hey, physical fitness is good. We all know that spiritual fitness is critical. And yet a lot of us are skipping spiritual fitness altogether. Or if we are engaging for it, we're looking for that magic bullet. And we approach spirituality the same way we approach physical health. We just want to look a certain way on the outside, regardless of whether we're making healthy choices to get that way. We're obsessed with finding the quick fix. We're obsessed with the shortcut. Can you imagine if someone tried to market those products? Prayers of Steel? Hellfire and brimstone buns, sweat into the Old Testament. I mean, these are not going to fly off the shelves. The most important thing we can do is devote ourselves to God, carving out time daily to work on our spiritual health. And yet, how many, how many of you, how much exercise is your soul actually receiving? 
Too often, spiritual exercise comes down to the one or two hours a week on Sunday that you spend at church. Imagine what would happen to your physical body over time if you only got off the couch one to two hours a week. That would be a disaster. And yet we expect one to two hours on Sunday to be enough, and it's just not. And the hard truth that you need to discover is that the same truth applies to spiritual health. When it comes down to it, there's only one strategy that works. Number one, adjust your eating habits. Number two, exercise regularly. Number three, do this consistently over time. Those are the personal building blocks of devotions. And so with the rest of our time together, we're gonna dive deeper into each of these elements of a personal devotional life. And I wanna give you some practical tools, some steps you can take to begin to do the most important worship you'll ever do, which is the daily worship of caring for your own soul. So number one, spiritual health requires proper nutrition. Look at what he says to, what Paul says to Timothy in, in verse six. If you explain these things to the brothers and sisters, Timothy, you will be a worthy servant of Christ Jesus, one who is nourished by the message of faith and the good teaching you followed. There's this saying out there, you are what you eat. Did you know that's literally true? Like whatever calories you consume in what you eat are broken down and added as proteins or nutrients or fats to the body. So your body is literally made up of what you eat, which means it matters what you eat, doesn't it? And the same is true spiritually. Just as our body needs the proper daily nourishment, spiritual fitness requires proper nourishment as well. Matthew chapter four, verse four, Jesus told us people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's taken from the temptation of Jesus as he's fasting and Satan is tempting him with real food and Jesus chooses to remind us of the spiritual food we need more that should sustain us spiritually And that's the word of God, the Bible. Jesus describes himself as the bread of life in scripture. In in, in fact, in the Old Testament, there's a story about God providing bread or manna in the wilderness during Israel's journey toward the promised land in Exodus 16. God sent them bread every single day and they were to pick it up daily to remind them to daily be dependent on him, to daily turn back to him. Well, fast forward to the New Testament, John chapter six, verse 48 to 50. Jesus said, yes, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. Now don't miss what Jesus is saying here. Like the manna, daily provision is found in him and his teaching. Whoever consumes the word of God will find life, but like manna, there is a sense in which it's enough for today. In fact, when Jesus' disciples asked him to teach them to pray, he included as part of what we now call the Lord's Prayer, that prayer, give us this day our what? Daily bread. See, just as our bodies need to be constantly nourished with food, we also need to be constantly feeding ourselves spiritually. And personal devotions is a picture of this daily bread, this commitment to daily dive into God's word. I heard a story of a guy talking to his pastor once and he he said, Pastor, I don't remember uh, a lot of your sermons and I struggle to remember everything I'm reading in the Bible. What do I do? And the pastor said to him, guess what? I don't remember every meal that my wife or I have ever cooked at home, but without them, we wouldn't be doing very well. Psalm 34, eight tells us that we are to regularly taste and see that the Lord is good. It says, oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. 
I wonder how many are spiritually starving right now and your problem, listen, your problem isn't that you haven't tasted the goodness of God. It's that you don't continue to taste his goodness daily. The picture here is not just eating either. It's talking about nourishment. And I wonder of us, I wonder how many of us are guilty of filling our souls all week long with empty calories, with things that make us feel good in that moment, but do not nourish our souls. And then we come to church to be fed in our soul, hoping it will sustain us all week. The Bible is our spiritual food. It's our daily bread. And if without it, our souls wither. And if we don't feed ourselves, we won't be able to feed others either. Number two, spiritual health requires regular exercise. Okay, verse seven and eight. Paul says, Don't, do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. Now, Paul purposely chose this picture of physical fitness. And if you think we're obsessed with body image, you got to look at the Greek culture. They took it to a whole new level. I mean, they, they, were folk, they were like obsessed with muscular development and form and balance. You see it in their sculptures. You see it in their artwork. They, they loved competition. They loved sports. I mean, these are the people who started the Olympics for crying out loud. Okay, so this metaphor was very, very front and center for them. To train or to discipline here actually comes from the Greek word gymnazo, which is where we get, it's the root word of our English word, gymnasium. What Paul is describing here in this athletic metaphor is the need to train ourselves to exercise spiritual self-control. Over in his letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 9, Paul writes this, all, it's a, all athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I feel that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. So Paul's saying to Timothy, Timothy, don't coast when it comes to your spiritual life. Train yourself to be godly. Discipline yourself. Build godly routines into your lifestyle. If you're not longing, or excuse me, if you are longing for a different spiritual life than you have, in order for your spiritual life to be different, you have to do things differently than you've been doing them. And that won't happen unless you find the proper motivation. For Paul, that motivation is his relationship with God and his promise of the life that is to come in eternity. He writes in verse 10, this is why we work hard and continue to struggle. For our hope is in the living God who is the savior of all people and particularly of all believers. Now, Paul never promises this will be easy. So listen, in my life, every morning, my alarm, my alarm goes off early. And I mean like, oh, dark 30. I won't even tell you what time. And my alarm wakes me up for two things that are very, very important to me. One, to go to the gym. Two, to spend time in personal devotions. And I'm just gonna be honest with you. When my alarm goes off before the sun is up in the middle of the winter when the wind is howling outside and I have to pull myself out of my nice warm bed, do you think I'm looking forward to my workout? No. Do you think I'm motivated? If I were chasing muscles, or trying to look good, or weight loss, none of those are enough to get me that uncomfortable. 
But what is motivating me every single day to get out of bed and go to the gym is health. I want to be as healthy as I can for my family. I want to be able to be active with my children and someday with my grandchildren. I want to be able to keep preaching as long as God calls me. So the goal that I'm chasing makes the discipline worth it. What's your motivation to grow spiritually? Mine is health. I want to stand before God and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I want to stand before God as someone who was set free to be who he made me to be. I want to live the life he has for me on this earth. I want to share Jesus Christ with as many people as possible. And I want to live my life with an expectation of eternity. And to do all of that, I have to engage in spiritual disciplines. I have to do my daily devotions. I have to keep growing in him. Because my relationship with God will not grow in an environment of instant gratification. The discipline of devotions doesn't always feel good. But it leads to our third reality, which I'm going to share with you and then we'll come back and be practical. Number three, spiritual health requires consistency. This isn't worship when you feel like it. This isn't reading your Bible when the mood is right. This is worshiping God through your choices even when you don't feel like it very much. This is time with God, even when you don't feel like it very much. This is the discipline of putting God first every day. It's the setting aside of time. It's it's developing a plan. It's sticking to it. This This is not reading the Bible to be finished. It's reading the Bible to be changed by the power of God's word. This is taking what you've learned in God's word and going, what does that mean for my life? And then actually applying it. And again, Paul's analogy works perfectly. The worst day to work out is when you just skip two weeks. Everything's heavy again. You see just how much ground you lost in that two weeks. The next day you're so sore, you can't hardly walk around. And in that moment, as you're trying to go down the steps and your your whole body's betraying you, you realize in the last two weeks, I didn't stay in the same place. By doing nothing, I actually went backwards. You realize entropy is a real thing. This gradual decline into physical disorder. My dad used to call this furniture disease. It's where your chest falls into your drawers, okay? And and here's the deal. Spiritual entropy is a reality as well, which is why personal devotions are so amazing, but they are also not for the faint of heart. So let's circle back to our article from Christy Walker because I believe she does a tremendous job arguing for the key things we do see God calling us to. And so I want to leave you with this list that she shared. It's not exhaustive, but these are some practical things God calls us to that perhaps you need to consider chasing in your life. Number one, listen. Romans 10, 17 says, so faith comes from hearing, that is hearing the good news about Christ. Faith comes from hearing the voice of God and throughout his word, God calls us to block out the noise and to listen for his still small voice consistently. Number two, talk. Philippians 4, 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Typically, when we think about praying, we think about talking with God, which is true, but reality prayer is having a conversation with God, and that involves talking and listening consistently. 
Number three, worship. And again, this does include worship in the church, but it also includes living lives of worship in all we do consistently. As 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Number four, read. Read. To love God, you have to fall in love with his word. To know the word of God is to know God. And it's hard to love him if you don't actually know him, which is why we're called to read consistently. This is why Psalm chapter one says, oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They're like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither and they prosper in all they do. Number five, obey. James 1.22, but do not just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise you're only fooling yourselves. We're not supposed to just read God's word to read it, but to be daily formed by it and let it shape our lives. How? Consistently. Here's the bottom line. Spiritual growth never happens by accident. Personal devotions are a beautiful form of worship and they are a reminder, worship isn't what you do at church. Worship begins long before you get to church. And if you haven't done the personal work of worship in your own soul, no amount of corporate worship on Sunday will ever fully fill the gap. My prayer is that you'd find your motivation to know God more and that you commit yourself not just to attend worship, but to take the first step in living a life of worship in everything.